If you would, go ahead and turn your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 2. What a sweet gift it is to be together today. Um, just sitting over there after being through the quarantine gauntlet the last few weeks and just sitting there and uh, just being able to think about how precious this gift is. I don't know how much we take this for granted, but how precious it is not only to have Jesus. God did not spare his own son for us, but he gave him up for us all. But not just that, but he gave us one another. And what a gift that is. So reading two simple verses from Philippians chapter 2, simple but strong verses from the Apostle Paul. He says this in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you because, Lord, it's only in you that we have hope. Lord, hope of being saved by your grace, hope of being saved through Jesus. Lord, we are desperate right now for you. Even when we don't realize it, Lord, we are desperate for you, and we, we can't do any of this today without you. And Lord, as one pastor has, has prayed before, Lord, what, what we know not, will you teach us? What we have not, will you give us? And what we are not, will you make us today, Lord? Would you do it for your glory and for our joy? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I turned... 40 years old this morning. <laughs> no. 40 years old. I'm, I'm not saying that this morning, so we can have a line of birthday wishes at the door when we leave. I'm, I'm not saying that so that you can drop off presents like fresh chocolate chip cookies at my door later, unless you want to, unless the Lord leads you in that direction today. No, I say this because I'm getting old. I don't get out of bed as gingerly as I used to. I, I don't bend over and pick up dinosaurs or couch pillows, kids, as easily as I used to. I don't have the metabolism to eat a dozen cookies or two bowls of cereal at midnight like I used to. I'm probably going to keep doing it, but I, I don't really have the metabolism anymore. I've come to realize that I have to start taking my physical health more seriously. There, there are doctor checkups that I have to take and have more regularly. There are workouts I have to do more rigorously. There's eating habits that need to start changing, like now. There are things about getting older that I can't take as lightly or as carelessly as I have before. But you know what? This is true 
of my spiritual life and your spiritual life as well. Not just our physical health, but our spiritual health. I must take my spiritual health even more seriously. There are weekly gatherings of God's people that I need to be at more regularly. There's a healthy diet of starting each day, communing with the Lord, hearing from His Word, praying to Him that I must be keeping more relentlessly. There's the reality that I'm going to die and and I'm going to stand before a holy God one day. I'm going to stand before Him sooner today than I did yesterday. That's that's true for everybody in here today. We're going to stand before God right now sooner today than we did yesterday. It's the truth that I'm living right now, moment by moment, before the face of God, and you are too. And and this can't be taken lightly or carelessly. Sadly, if, if there's anything the American church is known for today, it's casual Christianity. It's casual and comfortable Christianity. The the American church treats gathering with God's people as an optional add-on that might be on my calendar this week. The American church listens to the great commission of Jesus Christ, of going and making disciples, and we listen to it as a, a great suggestion. Christians, today, we, we take sin Lightly, what, what we watch, what we say, what we post, we take sin lightly because we take God's holiness lightly. Oh, we're, we're serious about our sports. We're serious about our shows. We're serious about our social media. But we're casual and careless about our Christianity. But we, we open up God's Word today and we We read these weighty words from the Apostle Paul. And they're anything but casual. They're they're anything but light. Because Paul calls the church at Philippi. He says this in verse 12. Listen again. Therefore, my beloved, those people that I love, as you've always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, You've done it before me, but but even while I'm away, he says this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Listen, brothers and sisters, let, let let me be as clear as possible today. God's word is saying to every one of us, your Christianity should be anything but casual. Your Christianity should be anything but comfortable. Listen closely. As a Christian, your obedience to Christ, your obedience to Jesus Christ, who is the Lord, who reigns over all, should be anything but optional for you. You must work out your salvation, and you must do it with fear and trembling. That's what the Bible says. So what does this look like for us today? What what does it look like to work out your salvation, to to carry out your salvation? What's it look like for us to take not only our salvation, but our sanctification, our growth as a Christian seriously? Well, the first thing I think we see clearly here is that you need to work out your salvation with one another. 
Paul commands the church to continuously, the, the language here is give effort, to, to exert yourself, to, to bring about, to carry out what God is doing in your salvation. It's hard to notice it in the English translation, but, but the command actually is to the whole church. Like, like Paul is saying, work out your salvation, not, not your salvation, but y'all's salvation. Like y'all, work out y'all's salvation with fear and trembling. It's a command to continue the work of salvation that the Lord has begun within the context of a committed covenant community. And so if you're a member of Christ Fellowship, you should be thinking, okay, so, so God's calling me to do this here at Christ Fellowship. Paul is saying our, our sanctification, our, our becoming more and more like Jesus, our growth in Christ-likeness, it's a community project. It's a community project that you cannot do on your own. So in the same way that you can't be casual about your individual growth as a Christian, you shouldn't be casual about your commitment to the local body of believers. You shouldn't be casual about your commitment to the church. We should be faithful to follow Christ together. Listen, God never planned to you, for you to grow as a Christian outside of the local church. God's plan is, is not for you to grow as a Christian outside of the local church. I'm not saying that Christian friends aren't good. I'm not saying that reading Christian books aren't great. I'm not saying tuning in to Christian radio is not a great thing or even being a part of a campus ministry. These are all good things. But what I'm saying is that all these things are optional. And God is saying the body of Christ, the local church, is essential. It's God's plan A for you to become more like Jesus. God calls us, think about the imagery, to work out your salvation. To, to work out your salvation. And the gym that he wants you to join to work out your salvation is called the local church. Not Planet Fitness, it's called the local church, the local body of believers. So the first question might be for you, have, have you joined the Lord's gym to work out your salvation? Have, have you committed yourself to a body of believers? Show me the people of God that the Lord has called you to carry out these commands together, together to carry out what we see in the Bible over 59 times individual commands to one another, one another. The Bible says that we are called to love one another. We're called to confess our sins to one another, to honor one another, to serve one another, to bear one another's burdens, to rejoice with one another and weep with one another, to forgive one another, to encourage and teach and admonish, build up, spur on, greet, show hospitality, and to pray for one another. So again, I ask you, show me the church where you are one anothering one another. Is Christ fellowship, those people that you're committed to, that faith family you're committed to, 
And if it is Christ fellowship, ask yourself, am I busy making every effort, striving to carry out the salvation that God has begun in me? Am I doing that? Can I say that I'm making every effort, that I'm exerting myself to be more like Jesus among these people? I'm sorry, I, I just got to say it this morning. Watching the live stream is terrible. It is terrible. And I hope if you've ever had to be home, you felt the same way in some sense. I'm not saying that the quality of it is terrible. I think the media people that work media, y'all, bless you. Bless you. Thank you so much. To be engaged at all is great when you're at home. But what I'm saying after being stuck for three weeks in quarantine is that the live stream is not God's best for you. God's best is not you watching people worship at home on your couch. God's, people is, God's best is worshiping together. God's best is not you watching your favorite celebrity pastor on YouTube. It's sitting under the faithful preaching of God's word among the pastors of your church. God's best is not keeping people at a, at a distance so you don't have to be known. No, it's being among the people, being present, being fully known and fully loved. Watching the, the live stream at home is like watching those roller coaster videos on YouTube. I don't know if you've ever been on a roller coaster before, but it's not the same watching a roller coaster video on YouTube. It's being present, it's being active, it's being, that's the difference. Or, or as Joe Stark says, it's like, Watching a family reunion on Zoom and it just keeps breaking up the whole time. It's not the same. It's not the same. This is not God's best. God's best for you, for all believers in Christ, is for you to work out your salvation within a faith family. Within community, it's, it's to be a faith family where you can't hide, but where you're fully known and fully loved, where you can be fully known in all your weaknesses and all your temptations and all your sins, where people know you not at your Instagram filtered best, but they know you at your worst and they're not going anywhere. Because they're as committed to your spiritual growth as they are their own. So my question, maybe a deeper question, not just have you united yourself to Christ Fellowship, but, but who at Christ Fellowship, who in this room right now really knows you? Like really knows you, knows your greatest temptations on a daily basis. Knows when you feel the weakest, the most insecure, knows when you feel the most vulnerable. Who really knows the worst part of you and still you know there is no condemnation. But there is love. They are for me. The Lord's will for your life. You might be thinking, am I supposed to live in Nashville after I graduate? Louisville. No, the first question, God's will for your life, is that you work out your salvation within a faith community. But second of all, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's what the passage says. Work out your salvation with fear and and trembly, the, the way you work out your salvation is not carelessly and casually. I shouldn't 
characterize how you follow Christ. The way you work out your salvation is not on your spare time. It's not apathetically every now and then. No, Paul says, my beloved, work out your salvation. And this is what it should look like, with fear and trembling. That language of fear and trembling, it's, it's language from the Old Testament about what it looks like when, when the people of God enter into the presence of God. And I'm not sure if you've read through the Old Testament lately, but people don't just stroll in casually or apathetically into the presence of God. No, just look through the Old Testament this week. Look, Moses, he, he has to remove his sandals when he's standing at the burning bush. Why? Because he's standing in the very presence of God. He's standing, it says, on holy ground. What about the people of God when they go up to Mount Sinai after they've been delivered from Egypt? They're, they're standing at Mount Sinai. And they don't want to go near the mountain. They don't want to touch the mountain. They're saying, Moses, you go talk to God because we're scared to death that we will die from a holy God standing in his presence? Or what about the high priest who must purify himself, who must make a sacrifice, and who only goes into the holy of holies once a year? Dares enter into the presence of God. Or Isaiah and the seraphim, trembling, covering their face, at the vision of Isaiah 6 where the train of God's robe is filling the temple and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Now, I don't, I don't believe that Paul is telling us here that we're going to have a little shoe house out by the door and we all need to take our shoes off before we come in on Sunday. That's, that would be a, give it a good, nice odor as we're sitting here all day. And I don't believe he's saying that we should be fearful or, or anxious as God's people to, to enter into the sanctuary. But, but what is Paul saying? Paul is saying we shouldn't be so half-hearted about our holiness. We shouldn't be so casual about our Christ-likeness. Paul just proclaimed in the verses above us, one day every knee is going to bow. And every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Yet too many of us today live like the lordship of Christ is optional. Like obedience to Christ is optional. Obedience to the one who would come and to give his life for us. And who would die on a cross for us. And who would rise again. And who right now reigns at the right hand of God over all creation. And he calls us to obey. And we say, I'll get back to you. I'll think about it. Why is it so easy for followers of Jesus Christ to, to talk so poorly about a brother or sister in Christ? Why is it so easy for followers of the Lord Jesus to be hateful and harsh with another believer in Christ? Why are we so comfortable as God's people who've been made one in Jesus Christ to live in disunity? Why are we so comfortable to, to look at our own interests, to count ourselves more significant than other people? 
Why are we so comfortable with the things we want to watch? With the way we want to talk? With how carelessly we post our words? How are we not scared to death to be so ambitious for our own glory instead of the glory of Christ? That we would want to touch, that we want to grasp, that we want to cling to our glory instead of the glory of God and Him get all the glory. This is what Paul's talking about, about living in such a way with fear and trembling like we're living before the face of God because, listen, we are living before the face of God. Every second of every day before God in His holy presence. John Piper says this, if, if you know God, really know God, for who he is in the greatness of his holiness and justice and wrath and grace, you will tremble in his presence. And this is not something you will grow out of. In fact, the immature must grow into it. You hear what he's saying? It's not something you grow out of. It's something the immature among us need to grow into. If you work out your salvation and you look at it and you say it's casual, it's light, it's half-hearted, it's not a sign of maturity in Christ. It's a sign of immaturity. To take your salvation and your sanctification lightly is to show that you lack a fear of the Lord. Listen to this verse in Hebrews chapter 12. He says this, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Did you hear what he, what he said? He said the, the Holy Spirit is saying, work out your salvation. Strive. Strive for peace with one another. Strive for a holiness. Because if you don't, you won't see God. It can't be much more clear than that, right? You won't see the Lord. You won't go to heaven. You won't be in, in eternity with the Lord. Those who are growing and mature in Christ. Those we live every second before his face. Every moment for his glory. I have to confess that this week I was, I was deeply convicted by this passage. Where I had to call a brother up and say, I have not in our... In, in, Feelings of disunity. I have not been living with fear and trembling when it comes to being one with one another. I couldn't be marked with fear and, and trembling. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and the Spirit of God. Maybe you're sitting here with fear and trembling because you've been taking holiness lightly. Maybe you're sitting here today with fear and trembling because you've taken unity, being one in Christ, lightly. This should make us all tremble. This should make us all tremble because working out your salvation isn't just hard. It's impossible. It is impossible to do. It's impossible because you can't save yourself and you can't sanctify yourself. 
And that's why we desperately need verse 13 to go along with verse 12. Because the third thing we see in this passage is what we're doing is we're working out what God is working in us. We're called to work out what God is working in us. And God never calls any of us to save ourselves. That's not what Paul's saying when he says work out your salvation. He's talking about bring about what God's already doing in you. But listen, he's not saying we can't just save ourselves. He's also saying you can't sanctify yourself. You can't become more like Jesus by yourself. It's only by God's grace in your life. I mean, remember what Paul said back in Philippians chapter 1. He already said, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He who began the good work will continue to do the work until he brings you before Jesus at the end of this great work of salvation. The call on your life is for you to work out what God is already graciously working in and through you. Isn't that good news? God is working in you today. See, the bad news is that you don't have the ability and you don't have the desire to live the Christian life. So if you're kind of a person that's like, I'm going to pull up my bootstraps, I can do, I'm going to get, I'm going to leave here today and I'm going to give as much effort and try as hard as I can. Guess what? If you do it on your own, you're going to fall on your face. But the good news is of the gospel is that through Christ, God is working in you to do what you could not do by yourself. Look at this grace again in verse 13. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do you hear what he's saying? God's working in you so that you can work out your salvation. God's beginning something, changing something in you so that you can be more like Jesus. It's God's enabling grace who do, that does this. And look, he does two things specifically. Do you see it? He says, God's enabling grace gives you first the desire or, or the will or the want to to do God's will. And, and second of all, he gives you the ability, the, the, the enabling power to, to actually accomplish the will of God. So, so both the want to and the can do only come from God's enabling grace in your life. So that means you wouldn't want to and you couldn't if God's grace wasn't powerfully working in your life. God's enabling grace is doing far more than you could ever do on your own. This gives me, if you're really hearing what the Spirit is saying to us, this should give us so much joy and so much freedom in the Christian life. Because if this was up to me, if, if my salvation, if me getting myself to heaven or, or me Becoming more like Jesus, my, my sanctification was up to me, then I would get out of the bed crippled in the morning. Like I would be anxious. I would be insecure. I would be worried. How could I ever do this? But because God is the one working in me. 
both bringing a desire and an ability to, to live for the glory of Christ, changing my desires, changing my ability. I'm not crippled. I have joy. I have freedom to live the Christian life, life like I could never live on my own. I mean, going back to the phone call I had to make to my brother, the, the pursuit of peace and unity with my brother, in, in that moment, think about it. Who was working the hardest in that moment? Was it me since I initiated the call, sought out reconciliation? Or was it him who lovingly received it, lovingly, humbly, and graciously received my confession of sin? Well, well it's kind of a, a trick question because the answer is God. God was working the hardest in that moment. God is the primary actor in the meeting. He's the chief initiator in the meeting. He's the one bringing about a desire to be one and the ability to be reconciled, the desire to seek out one another. It's God working for his glory and for our joy. Listen to these encouraging words from a commentator on this verse. He says, this is so good. He says, Paul is encouraging the Philippians that God is on the side of his people. He's encouraging the Philippians that God is on the side of his people, that he not only has their concern at heart, but he actively works on their behalf for the sake of his good pleasure. God is on the side of his people. God is for us today. God is for us in Christ, Christ fellowship. Is that not a beautiful and freeing thing for us as we seek to honor God with our lives, if we seek to work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Because if I'm honest, the way I typically picture God, if you had to close your eyes and picture what is the Father, God the Father doing in heaven right now, or Monday morning, or Wednesday afternoon, or Friday after a long week, after I've yelled at my kids and I've been frustrated all week and grumpy, what is God like? Well, typically, here's how I picture God. I picture God with his arms crossed, standing back, tapping his foot, kind of a low-level frustration always with who, who I am and what I've done. Just waiting for me to mess up again. Just waiting to feel disappointed once again with me. You know, we read this passage, and guess what? God's not passive at all. God's not standing back at all. God is not waiting to be disappointed with you at all. No, God is actively working in you today. He's actively working in you and he's changing your desires. So the things that you used to love in this world, the things you used to love, you don't love anymore. And the things that you love, the things of Jesus, you now love with all your heart. And he's not just doing that, he's changing my ability where things that I could not do if I was left to myself, now I can do with his enabling power and grace working through me. See, God started this great work for you 
2,000 years ago when he didn't spare his own son, but he sent him, his one and only son, to die on a cross for your sins in your place. And then he rose again three days later to rescue you from your sin and to rescue you from your old man and to rescue you from your old sinful desires and your old way of life to be a new man, a new woman in Christ. He started that work 2,000 years ago. But do you know what God's doing today? Today, God is continuing this great work. He's not taking a day off. He's not sitting back waiting to be disappointed. God is committed today to continuing this great work of salvation, constantly working in and through you to bring Him glory, to bring us joy in Him. Let me close by asking this question. Why is God doing this? We'll look at the final phrase. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. For his joy. If you go back with me when you were a little kid, I know being 40 years old, being a little kid seems like centuries ago. But if you could go back when you were a little kid, what's the first thing that you did when you thought you did something good? What's the first place you turned when you thought something went well? What was the, the instant? What'd you do in that instant, in that moment? I can tell you what I would do. I would turn to look at the face of my father. To look and see, what is my father looking at? What is my father doing? Is he looking at all? Is he engaged? Is he happy with me? I would look at the face of my father. But if right now we could open up a window into heaven right now, and we as God's people this morning could look upon the face of our father, do you know what he's doing right now? He's not distant, far off, and disengaged. He's not disappointed or waiting for you to disappoint him again. He's not distracted, looking down at his cell phone and didn't even notice what's going on here today. No, the face of our Father is full of joy in his people. I don't know if we believe that enough, because maybe some of us have relationships with your Father that you've never seen a face of delight. But if you could look at the Father in heaven right now, he would be full of joy. Because when God works in our hearts and he makes you want to make things right with a brother or sister in Christ, it fills him with joy. When God works in your heart so that you want to be holy and you don't want to look at the things you used to look at on your computer and you want to strive after him and you want to walk in repentance, guess what? It fills God, the Father, with joy. When God works in your heart where your greatest joy is no longer to grasp for your own glory but to bring him glory, that brings him joy. And when God opens your eyes, to see that the greatest treasure in the world is a Savior named Jesus who would live and die for you instead of the things of this world. That brings him 
so much joy. You know, we're calling this series the all-surpassing joy in Jesus. But really, on an eternal, cosmic level, it's, it's not just about the joy we get in our hearts when we treasure Jesus. It's about the joy that we get to feel in the Father's heart in heaven when we love Him. When we strive for peace with all men and with holiness. When we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So brothers and sisters, for our joy, for the joy of heaven, let's work out our salvation today with fear and trembling. But let's do it knowing that God's already working in us. Working in us, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. Let's pray together. Father, we, again, like we said before, Lord, we, we cannot do anything without you. We can't do anything without you. There's not 1% of our lives that we can do by our own best effort. To bring you glory, Lord. To bring you honor. To bring you praise. Lord, if it wasn't for you and your grace, Lord, we would be running headlong after our sin. We would be clinging to the things of this world. Lord, we would be running headlong into hell. But Lord, we thank you for your grace. Your saving grace that rescued us out of our sin that rescued us by sending Jesus to die on the cross for us, to rise again for us, that we might have a life in Him. And Lord, we thank You not just for Your saving grace, but Your sanctifying grace that is still working in us today, working in us in this moment so that we might love Christ, so that we might desire and want to honor Christ, so that we might love one another, that we might lay down our lives to bring you glory, Lord. All the desires, all the ability is all because of your enabling, powerful grace in our lives. Your Holy Spirit that's in us and working through us. So, Lord, I pray that we would feel overwhelmed by not only the calling to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, that we wouldn't take that lightly, that we wouldn't be casual about what you are calling us, commanding us to do as your people. Oh, but Lord, that we would also be overwhelmed by the embarrassment of grace and riches that you've given to us in Jesus. The way you're working in and through us by your grace for your glory, and for your joy and our joy. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here right now clinging to their sin, clinging to this world, clinging to their selfishness, their pride, oh Lord, I pray that they would, by faith, let it all go to cling to Jesus, to trust in Jesus, to cast all their hope in a Savior who wants to who lived and died for them and rose again, and who wants to continue working through them for your glory. Lord, would you do this, we pray.
In Jesus' name, amen.